Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Ashlyn Chin Yi, a producer of documentaries and features and an activist who co-founded Canada's After Me Too movement with Mia Kirshner and Freya Ravensbergen in 2018. In 2019, she made her feature directorial debut with The Rest of Us, a drama starring Heather Graham as a single mother who invites her ex-husband's second wife and daughter to live with her and her daughter after his untimely death. It arrives on digital and on demand today. Ashling picked Do the Right Thing, Spike Lee's landmark drama about people getting on each other's nerves in a Brooklyn neighborhood on the hottest day of the year. Set in and around a pizza place in Bedford-Stuyvesant, it follows a dozen or so key characters, played by an amazing ensemble that includes Danny Aiello, John Turturro, Richard Edson, Rosie Perez, Giancarlo Esposito, John Savage, Frankie Faison, Martin Lawrence, Bill Nunn, Stephen Park, Samuel L. Jackson, Ozzie Davis, Ruby Dee, Joy Lee, and Lee himself, as they order slices, bump shoulders, pick fights, and get angrier and angrier. Released in 1989, Do the Right Thing is distressingly relevant to our present moment, picking apart neighborhood tensions to reveal the deep divides between people that allow bias and mistrust to fester into hatred. And as Roger Ebert pointed out at the time, it's a film that makes it really difficult to take sides, even though in the end, there's only one. This is someone else's movie. It's an interesting time for everything right now, you know, for like the upheaval that's happening in 2020 and like the changes that are happening in all industries and everything like that, but specifically how we can kind of like shine a light on the film industry in the way that we also reflect the world and what we do. But yeah, I, I also obviously rewatched, um, you know, rewatched Do the Right Thing. Like that movie was such an influential film for me as a young filmmaker and as a, and a film student. I was like, as a teenager, I was like obsessed with New York. This is where I wanted to live. This is where I wanted to go. I wanted to go. I was, you know, obsessed with getting to NYU and all that kind of stuff, which I never actually finally did. I interviewed there for, for grad school and then was like, I don't have no idea how I'm gonna afford to do this unless like, anyway. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it was like, I was doing a little tra- like trailing. I was like, where can, how can I like fangirl to like Spike Lee? Cause he was such a, such an amazing, interesting filmmaker of like every decade, but specifically, you know, if you look at like the nineties, he's such a, such a voice at that time. but. But yeah, it's it's shocking, you know, like, of course, like we all remember what happens in the film, but like it's shocking to see how it's reflecting what is happening right now. You know, it's yeah, it yeah, terrifying in a way. Too, yeah. But, like, 31 years and it hasn't aged today. It's just um, yeah. And it's unparalleled. That, that's the thing that really shocked me watching it again this time was that it's even more. I've, I don't know how many times I've watched it all the way through, like in a single sitting, probably five or six over the over the decades. But this time through, I think there was this persistent nausea that kicked in about around the second act. Just just this thing start to tip. The scene, I think it was the scene with um, with Sal talking to uh, Mookie's sister, and yes. <laughs> both of both like. Mookie and Pino just sort of giving him the side eye and knowing what was going on. And just yeah. this sense that as much as Lee tries to empathize with everybody and really does, I, I don't think there are villains in the film. There's just there's just racism and tension. That's like the poison that seeps into everybody. Um, that moment where the film really comes out and says, Cell doesn't know what he's doing like he doesn't understand how he comes off to people he his idealist version of himself is just so completely different and 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 i agree with ebert i don't think sal was ever going to actually try anything with her i don't think he would think he would but he's being incredibly creepy absolutely yeah yeah and she insists that it's not the case because she's known him since she was a kid but you know it's literally it's it's visible to literally everyone else and that was that one thing that just made me start clenching even before anything else happens. Cause I mean, I know how it's going. I know where it's going, but Lee does such a great job of introducing these little tentacles, these little threads of unpleasantness and interactions that are, are disproportionate or, or the imbalance of power that runs through the whole thing. And I was reading over some other reviews and people were arguing over, not with, not even arguing, the reviews are arguing with each other over the nature of the beef. Like, is it because Sal won't put up pictures of black people 
Or is it because Buggin' Out's request of him is unreasonable? Or is it because of the way it escalates? And nobody's wrong. <laughs> every, yeah. every, it's incredible. Everybody has a legitimate position. But once I saw Sal being a creep, it's just like, oh, no, this was always going to happen. The heat, the racism, that was always just a catalyst. Mm-hmm. And also, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting watching that moment, too, especially in this you know, in this day and age too, like post me too and everything like that, where, you know, um, it's, and it's not, it's not an unknown fact that, you know, of everything that Spike Lee does really well, his representation of female characters is not his strongest point, you know, like, um, but, but yeah, like just the, you know, and as we see what's happening today, I'm like, oh, there's, there's so much shock of like, well, I never knew this was going on or I'm not, you know, as you know, you hear from other people that like, that like, well, I don't feel racist. I personally, this is like an attack on me as like somebody who has never said these things or whatever, you know, and, sure. I'm, and I'm, I'm using the, I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about the eye of the, of the public or whatever, but, but that like, these things are happening and racism is happening and system- systemic injustice is happening and, and saying that just because you are not actively participating in racism doesn't mean that you don't have racist, you know, biases or you don't have a bias in any kind of way, whether it's, you know, gender bias, religious bias, economic bias, like social status, like anything like that, that that's not going to like inform the way that you interact with other people on an unconscious level, you know? So, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting place to like relate, like, yeah, Sal's own kind of, you know, wool that he's pulled over his eyes because he is a very sympathetic character for a lot of it, you know, like you, you, you see his like, you know, passion and power and like his, um, and his, well, you see his, he's, you see his empathy and his compassion for, you know, Mookie and the people that are coming to his shop and, and feeling the pride there that obviously is in flux with like, you know, in contradiction with his, with, with John Turturro's character, you know, yeah. but, but that like, you know, push comes to shove, he's going to go to those places of, of deep, dark feelings and like, you know, it's, it's, it's going to come out and yeah. And the heat of the, of New York at, you know, in Brooklyn and the color and the setting and the, in, you know, New York in the eighties, like just, like as the backdrop and as like the you know the stage for what's going on is just such a so vibrant and so like amazing and beautiful for all like to make all these sort of like complex arguments you know yeah yeah Mm -hmm. a lot of it feels uh stagey is the wrong word but there's definitely a proscenium aspect to a lot of the shots that he's chosen just the way that he sets up every location or every space as an individual location i mean it's only it's two blocks really yeah. you know one 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 set of corners and then the, the two sets two two sides of that street that radiate outward but it's so distinctive you know there's a moment where i think when the mayor comes up to uh, mother sister's fence and he basically crosses an axis from another angle but it feels uh-huh. like he's traveled 10 miles because her window is so calm and serene and yeah. behind him there are these kids scrambling around and just all this activity and it feels like almost like it could be the whole thing could have been shot on a soundstage for the for the yeah. re, for the like the slight stylization that that Ernest Dickerson's camera brings to it and the colors the the, the Vicente Minnelli imagery that he uses for the the three men sitting under the uh, under the patio table awning maybe two blocks away you could have a streetcar named desire happening like that yeah. level of of heat and and uh, enhanced emotion and exaggerated tensions but also, yeah, it feels like New York in the late 80s. I, I didn't get there until 92, my first trip. And it was like, where can I find all of those things that I've seen? All of these, the movie locations that I've seen, these these incredible, um, just the brownstones and, the, and the, yeah. the tenements that were still sort of standing down in the Lower East Side. And I just walked around with, you know, like ice as big as saucers, just taking it all in and never made it to Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, and now... I mean, there's a couple of places in Brooklyn that don't have big buildings in the background, but but now Bed-Stuy and Do the Right Thing feels like a small town, right? Like it feels like a microcosm isolated again from New York City just because of the lack of development, which is sort of the point, but it's stunning. It feels like a time capsule and it feels completely yeah. immediate at the same time. I don't, I don't know that you can do that on purpose. It's just a combination of, of skill, subject matter, and, and the creation of that world. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's uh, whenever I go to go to New York, I always stay at my friends in Bed Stuy. So it's really, it's really. I always get like a little fun little thing of like walking through the streets and be like, oh, you know, like this is. And they and there is a lot of like tribute to do the right thing and Crooklyn and stuff like that. People there was like point, you know, there's street corners that are kind of pointed out, you know, and that kind of stuff, which is, right. which is like great for you know a geek like me, but um. <laughs> But yeah, and it's, you know, and I think with, you know, the, the amazing opening with um, with Rosie Perez and her dancing at the opening credit sequence and it being, and having all of those backdrops on a stage, like it's it's like, this is the theater that you're going to enter into, you know, with the like the, the power of like her very, very, very physical dancing and like the music and everything like that. That's just like, oh, this is, this is the world we're going to enter, you know, which is, so much fun. Like he doesn't, you know, he doesn't pull any of his punches, any punches for how he's going to go to use like the cinematic language to really tell every element of the story and to be, be part of the, be, yeah, just from the, yeah, from the costume to the setting, to the camera, to, you know, his, you know, breaking the fourth wall. And, and so many of his films and this one included, which, you know, that, that, brings it back to something that's happening in real life, brings it back to something that is like a, a, a true incident that has happened. And so him ending the film with a dedication to the families of, of people who have been killed by police officers, yeah. you know, that in, in that time period of between like, like 1986 to 89 or something in that zone, you know, and it's just like, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's so shocking. I'm just like, you know, you, you, you you take you take that movie you put it now it's George Floyd it's Matt Aubrey it's you know Breonna Taylor it's it's so many it's 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 you know rel being relevant is it like we all want our movies to stay relevant but it it's it's also very disheartening that like it is so like there's these lessons are still being learned you know and are still being ignored until this moment now of, of Black Lives Matter and everything that hopefully there's going to be a sustained change and like some, you know, some institutional, you know, change is happening. Yeah. But it's just like the fact that you have to see something like Radio Rahim's murder in real life actually happening to a man for change to actually happen. It's like, well, couldn't we have learned from the fictionalized version yeah. of that murder, you know, do we have to, do we have to see, do we have to have the shock of actually seeing somebody get killed, you know, in the media to, to, you know, to, to, to understand that this is the thing that's been happening for decades and generations. And now we have iPhones to actually, sh you know, shine a light on these things when it's like, well, that was what filmmaking has always been, you know, we've always been telling these stories, we've been telling them in a way that's supposed to represent real life. And now you, now you have to have real life taken away on screen to actually understand what that message was from a movie 31 years ago. Like, yeah, yeah. I hope we, I hope we evolve, you know, as a society. And I think that we are, I have a hope that this is a changing moment, but like, yeah. 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 Somebody was uh, pointing out the other day. Oh, where was it? Was it on the big story or maybe it was on the last post of a podcast that I listen to daily. Um, someone was pointing out that this, this time is different because the pandemic has isolated everyone and we have nothing to do but watch. Like we are mm. unable to be distracted from what's going on. And previously, every time there was a wave of protest, it would die out in three or four days because there'd be some other distraction where people would just have to go to work and stop thinking about it. And, and yeah. the nature of the world was such that you just rolled through whatever was happening. And now, as we're seeing that, you know, the, the um, they're still protesting in Minneapolis. It's just that the cameras aren't covering it as much. They're, it's not. It may not be happening. It may not be on the nightly news. But we're still seeing the social media of it, and we're still seeing the organizers talking about it. And so it won't go away. And even though we're going back uh, too early, I think, but but people are talking about reopening before the virus is really dealt with even though that's happening, it's still not enough of a distraction to, for, for those of us who are paying attention to stop paying attention. And and to your point about seeing things in movies versus real life, uh, have you seen the the clip that Lee built where he's he's edited the scene yeah. from? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's no time has passed. It's absolutely distressing. But I think the difference is that in Do the Right Thing, it looks 
it's aesthetic it's aestheticized it's um some of those shots are beautiful not the shots of, of bill nunn being choked to death but um there is a there is a, a a beauty to a lot of the images in do the right thing that i think makes it easier to watch mm-hmm. uh and some part of your brain is saying oh it's not real but when you're just watching you know when you're watching the footage of of um of a man being murdered by a police who's just casually leaning on his throat and the the angle is raw and it doesn't the lighting's wrong like it looks it's yeah. you you can't dismiss it the way that you can with a clip from a movie and so i found it really jarring to watch that i get what he's doing mm-hmm. but it was also a reminder of why you could go see do the right thing and just shake it off yeah which yeah. oh yeah and i forgot to ask to, at the top what was your first experience of it did you see it in 89 in a the theater or did you catch up to it later no i i mean i i started watching I think I'm trying to remember actually when I was first introduced to it. It may have been when I was in film school in the early 2000s um, in like uh, American independent cinema class or something like that. Um, but I had been introduced to Spike Lee's films before I watched that film. Like I had seen, strangely, like I watched Clockers a ton as a teenager. And I was okay. like, that is not one of his like many, you know, named films, but it is actually still, I, I still think it's a decent film. That's um, uh, Mackay Pfeiffer's first film, right? Like that was a huge yeah. deal for him at the time. Yeah, that was his first film. Um, yeah, him and, uh, and Harvey Keitel. And it was just so like, it's also just like the, I just remember watching that movie, watching Crooklyn um, and, and just, just being so, I didn't understand why it was so colorful. Like I was just trying, uh, figuring out as somebody who like, I didn't, you know, grow, I didn't grow up in a film fan, like I grew up watching films, but I didn't grow up in a family of filmmakers or anything like that. And just trying to figure out why the colors were so bold and so saturated and so vibrant. Like, how do you, in, in a way that I don't even know if I consciously understood it besides like, oh, this is, that was this, you know, this color of the clothes, it's the style. It's like, you know, that was, that's what the color of it was. And just going, that's what it must feel like, you know, like it's, it's, there's something so larger than life and like bold and like unapologetic about his filmmaking. And, you know, I mean, like, and I grew up in a play, I grew up in Nova Scotia in like, you know, in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, which, you know, historically has been very like segregated and, um, you know, racial, there's a lot of racial tensions there. There's a lot of, uh, you know, and growing up as a racialized person there, but neither like I'm I'm mixed race. I'm I'm half Chinese, half Irish. My parents are both immigrants, and we ended up in Nova Scotia. Um, but kind of recognizing some of that like tension that existed in in where I grew up, and seeing that on screen, but told through an American lens, and being like, oh, there's something relatable here. But also because he uses humor, I'm totally going off of. Him on a different tangent from your question right now this is what it's all about (laughs) we'll get there but uh but yeah just like the way of like you know being unapologetic about one's experience but and also bringing in the drama with humoristic with a humoristic side to it being like oh you can you can tell a joke you can be you can you can be complex you can be a little off color you can say the wrong thing and do you know and and be on the right right side moralistically or whatever like there's there's gray zones in who we are as individuals and there's something really wonderful to see that reflected on screen and you know yeah it's it's i i got very excited about the you know that film and some other films as well but like being introduced to his movies and so when i saw do the right thing i think like i was lucky i when i, I came to montreal went to concordia and did communications and film studies here in Montreal, but um, and I, 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 it was this great film teacher I had, and who, of course, his name is, you know, escaping me right now. But like he was, you know, he tried to get like every everything we always tried to get, like a thirty-five millimeter print of, and I think he was able to get one of Do the Right Thing, oh. and and being so yeah, being like an eighteen or twenty-year-old kid, like sitting and watching this movie and in a theater, and then getting a chance to actually discuss and like you know and kind of unpack what you saw on screen because it's still like you know just in the title alone it's like do the right thing that is not a clear that's not that's not a clear that's not clearly asked or answered in the movie and it can't be because of course we're coming at it with with so many different experiences and understandings and because each there yeah like you said there are no 
true villains in the film, except for the police officers, I would say, you know, like, and again, like, they're very recognizable tropes, but like, those tropes exist for a reason. And, you know, it's unfortunately. Yeah, but, even um, the one guy who comes off as sort of okay, Miguel Sandoval's cop, mm-hmm. kicks Raheem's corpse three or four times out of anger. Like, it's clearly, like, he's he's saying get up, but he's furious. It's, uh, I, the first time I saw it, I admit, I thought it was, oh, he's scared and he's just trying to put on a show of him being alive. And then this time through, it's like, no, he's just, he doesn't care about him at all. It's just that, yeah, yeah the police are not the good guys in any way in this movie. No, exactly. And even in that, like, and there's so much, like, like, there's so much, there's so many characters in this film, you know, that's such an, it's such an introduction to a, such a, such a, like, vibrant community, but the, if you look, see it, like, the, and there's obviously a lot of talking in it, but, like, the dialogue is actually really, really lean and so layered and intelligent, and just in, in, yeah, in that, in that copy you were talking about when, what's that actor's name like famous italian american actor who's you know his his car gets soaked by the oh, uh, frank frank vincent yeah yeah who will, who will show like, up in goodfellas in, yeah in being, exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah um that you know when in in the interaction he's having with them about like well do you like can like who who soaked your car and everything like this and then he he says you know both as a threat to to you know his character to frank vincent yeah okay okay to his character it's like you better get to your cars soon before these people you know these people strip it clean and it's like oh that's just every every second line is so racially charged in in this movie by every single person who is speaking about somebody or themselves or you know what's going on and it's just like the rigor of like the message in every single element of this film is just so it's so it's remarkable, you know, like, yeah. And even in that scene, in that exchange, one of the cops calls out Frank Vincent on his racism, right? When he's trying to, uh, he's trying to say, um, I can't remember like the two names, he's like Jim and Joe or something like that. And then he just says black and the cop says, oh, so they're brothers, not their brothers as in a racial term, but as in you're calling them, like he's just taking it as yeah. though black is their last name and just pushing it back at him. And it's, yeah, it's just this, it's a little cute little moment of dialogue, but it, yeah, exactly. It's another level of that conversation that they're having about who they are to each other and how yeah. the black characters are still outside of it. Exactly. So you saw it in film school. That would have been great. What, what, how did it play? Like, how did it play for an audience? I, when I saw it in 89, it was at a press screening. Uh, oh. it, it had just come out of Cannes. It was a big deal. Um, mm. That, the, you know, those of us who didn't go to Cannes were seeing it. And I would have been, I was 20 in the summer of 89. And I had seen his other films and I, I, I knew who Spike Lee was and I'd been following all the, the, the conversation out of Ken. And it was just, I mean, again, and this is before the internet, this is, you know, reading interviews in newspapers and magazines, basically. And it still felt like a bolt of lightning. It was, mm-hmm. uh, and I saw it with, I'm going to guess a 95% white audience at a, on a Wednesday night, like seven o'clock Wednesday night, preview screening that, Tickets had been distributed over the radio the way they used to be in the old times. And and people were, like, dead silent. There was no engagement. There was some laughter early on. The, the jokes landed. It played really well. And then in the maybe in the last 40 minutes, it just, the, the volume in the room just dropped down. There was an incredible tension. You could feel it. But it was received with absolute silence and the movie ended and people got up and immediately started talking to each other, but in a really kind of silent, kind of low reverent sort of way, because it just walloped us. Yeah. Uh, and this, when you saw it, it would have been what, about 10 years later or so? And Yeah, yeah, it would have been, I'm trying to think in 2000 or like, I was in, I was in university 2000, 2004, so it would have been probably not in the first year that I was there, probably in the second, second or, or third year. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's a similar, it was a similar experience. Like one, it was like, just again, like, I think to show a group of like young people at that time, this film and some people had seen it and some people hadn't, but it, it, it really was like that. It was, it, there is like a bolt of lightning kind of experience through it. And then, and a charge that like, you know, 
where you feel, you know, obviously like the, the character that we know the best is Mookie. And so you feel his journey of, of, of being, you know, like he's, he's, you know, an individualistic person, like just like trying to, you know, do his thing. And then he does have to make this decision, you know, after Radio Rahim is, is killed to be like, I'm going to now, I now have to, I now I'm, I'm, I've got to stand up for something like the first time he has to actually do this and it's and picks up the garbage can and throws it through the window. And of course, there's this continued debate and people are having it now about like, what does it mean when you're when, when property without property damage and yeah, yeah. looting and stuff like that. And when 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 the anger has bubbled up so much and the frustration has bubbled up so much that this is this is the mode of communication for this these feelings and this injustice you know and so that debate of being like well it's not like it's going to change anything you know like like what there's not it's not like like the 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 people that are lost when it's like well you you like that's whatever whatever is wrong racially and just racial injustice that aside and yes like the cops are have you know did something terrible they murdered this guy but you still can't you still can't her property and it's like let's just put everything into perspective and like under and i think now there's you know now that the media is like kind of recognizing because they've been criticized in what's going on now that's like if you only show those images that are such a small percentage of what's happening but you don't put a kind of context to like why are why do these things happen why did why do neighborhoods get um you know get vandalized during times of complete you know, unrest and protest because there is a there there is an institution and a system that's now being riled against in a way that like we're, we've got your attention and also it's proof it's proof of the like the huge socioeconomical barriers that exist yeah. for a lot of marginalized communities and to then go yes but like it's not like that he should have done that so that debate I remember happening and 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 again like I went to a very very like you know, at the time at Concordia, I don't know if you remember, but it was like very, very um, left-leaning, very politically charged. Like we had the first oh, yeah. year that I was there in 2000 was um, was when the, they tried to bring Netanyahu in to speak. And then there was a huge, pro like we all sat out the hall building, you know, it was like huge protest of like, no, you can't bring this like war criminal into our place of education, you know, yeah. and then, and it, and it turned into, it turned into, into a thing, you know, and so that became the year of like, you know, picking sides and, 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 and you know, an embattled like, um, student union and like everything like that. But, uh, so Concordia already, I think that, I think it, because of the school I went to, there was an understanding of like the injustice and why you, you can stand on the side of like, um, understanding why violent acts or destruction to personal or private property or public property happens in these moments you know um but yeah yeah, yeah it's it was yeah it was like a, and and again like it was also the year that like my first year was the year that bamboozled had come out and that movie I remember really loving and being really, but still not quite understanding exactly what I was watching, you know, as like somebody who's not part of the black community. It's like, I, but like, but, you know, as a young person processing, like how the media, you know, represents people that, you know, that don't, that aren't white skinned in ways that are, you know, that are obviously like, completely biased and like yeah. one dimensional in so many ways. So it's like, yeah, again, it's like even just, yeah, but we're rewatching the film now as, you know, as an, as a, you know, someone in their late thirties, like going like, that's, it's a nice, you know, still having those debates, you know, and still having those conversations. And I think, I think now like the media is taking a little bit more um, care in the fact that you can't just put these images of like, uh, of, of destruction as like the only representations of what's happening within a community. You know? Yeah, a Wendy's was burned down two days ago because someone got murdered there. That that actually is what happens in Do the Right Thing. It's, yeah. you know, it's a the destruction of the pizzeria is finally instantly explicable because now yeah. the, the world, real world events have caught up to it. But I remember thinking at the time that it felt almost like a, kind of a Shirley Jackson gesture, like at the end of the lottery, he's destroying the pizzeria to save the lives of Sal and Pino and Vito. 
And I don't know that that's true. Apparently it's an alternate theory. Lee has always just said that Mookie has just seen Rahim be murdered and all he can do is smash something. It's the only way to get his own anger out. But mm -hmm. the title makes you search, right? For a reason for, that this could mm -hmm. be the right thing. And by, you know, maybe by redirecting the anger of the mob towards the building instead of the people, that does it. Maybe it also explains why the mob immediately comes after the Korean grocery across the road, mm -hmm. which it's not a laugh exactly, but there was this weird moment of like a release of tension with the audience where when Steve Park is swinging his broom and saying, I'm black, I'm black, people mm -hmm. in the theater kind of laughed and it was a white audience, which makes it kind of wrong and worse, but it is like this, it's not funny at all. It's just, it's the, the, the anger in his voice and the terror behind his eyes is just so powerful. Um, and I get it. It's someone with limited language trying to communicate that he's just as marginalized and just as racialized and, and he is in no way an oppressor. Mm -hmm. Even though, like for, for the previous two hours, we've watched him treat everybody with veiled hostility and, and yeah. push people out of the store and treat, them, treat the mayor badly. And oh, he's not wrong, but that's my point. And that's Lee's point, right? Nobody's wrong. Everybody's got a reason for the way they behave. It's just all of it is the deck is so stacked against every character. Yeah. And it's just such a heartbreaker. And then watching um, the other thing I noticed this time through was the way that the beauty fades. The, the neighborhood mm -hmm. is just shot so lovingly and with these rich reds and the yellows and, and the oranges, the colors behind everyone. And I think there's that moment where Lee lingers on the brick wall that says Tawana told the truth. And that's mm -hmm. when it starts to get darker. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because the day is coming to an end. But Part of it is like, no, this is my mission statement and I'm just going to prove the worldview right as it goes. And I'd forgotten how good an actor Spike Lee is or was. <laughs> like, he just doesn't yeah. anymore. Yeah. But you know, like, he's an element of his first three movies. He's in all of them and, and, and in Do the Right Thing more than anything, he really shoulders most of it. Yeah. And absolutely. he's, yeah, he's really good. And watching him walk away from that, that slogan on the wall and just realize, oh, yeah, the guy I've been watching is also the person holding the, like the not camera. actually holding the camera <laughs> yeah. but yeah creating this world it's just this weird thing where he doesn't he just doesn't appear in his movies enough these days that i think of him as an actor and so i, I just it took a second to be reminded it's like oh yeah same guy it's yeah weird yeah how old was he when he did do the right thing i actually 32 i looked it up yeah okay yeah because it's and it's funny because like 100% I was remarking on that too because he is such, I don't think he can act in, I mean, I think he can act, but I don't think he can act now because he is such, he's so recognizably Spike Lee, you know? Yeah, he's um, kind of settled into a certain type of delivery too. I don't know that he could get out of it. Well, that, yeah, and I think because he is such a, he is such a animated person I, and like, because he does, you know, Mookie's such a subdued, like, kind of go with the flow guy that's just like, you know, really, you know, doesn't doesn't hold a ton of ambition and like drive you know yeah, so yeah. the fact that he's yeah there's like obviously you know very very um specific and precise filmmaker with these you know very with a very distinct visual and like uh you know, visual you know language and style is playing the sort of like dopey character is quite is actually quite remarkable because he's not like if he's not making the character embody the, like the story embodies the the like you know the, it ends with a quote from martin luther king jr and malcolm x and that's like it's these conflicting it often opposing ideas that can seem contradictory but they can both exist and be true at the same time and this is the crux of the movie it's like do the right thing is that that there are contradictory things that can also be the right thing to do given your 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 investment and your take on life and your and your and who you are you know so so the fact that he didn't place those ideals into a character but into the entire you know fabric of the yeah. movie is quite like that's i mean that's storytelling at its like finest you know and for and to to be able to do that and to weave it into all these different ways and different modes and to bring in like all these amazing artists to make this, to make this film. Like um, I read somewhere that it was Ruth Carter's first feature film that she uh, did, you know? I think she worked with him on school days, but he discovered, oh, yeah? yeah, he discovered her. Absolutely. Oh, she was, okay. I think her billing is like, she's Ruth. She was Ruthie Carter and then Ruth E. Carter and then Ruth right. Carter. So it, it depends on where you look her up. 
But right. yeah, she'd already worked with Lee before. And the, the, the colors, the fashions in school days too, which is like an African-American yeah. campus look, uh, that's Black Panther. It's amazing. It's yeah. so close in so many ways to the stuff that she, she just, you know, had a much, much larger budget and a bigger, like a fantastical aspect to it. But it's like, she's always had that sensibility, which is amazing. And here, everything is so simple. There, there's... There's all it's it's summer, so people aren't wearing a lot. The clothes are really functional and yeah. basically sports and so bras many, and t-shirts. And it's like, and also just so many, so many jerseys, which is so great. Yeah. You know, like the first, the first shot of. And actually, I was wondering, you know, it's interesting too because there's everything is, you know, like the camera is very intentional and it's very and often very fixed, or it's like it's 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 a very, it's obviously like a very uh, young is not the right word, but it's like it's it's. It's a very assured camera, you know, that he's yeah. using. It's like, it is like, if there was a switch pen, he would know where that is going to end up. And But that first shot that we see Mookie, it's this like walking travel shot rather than it's like, this guy loves a dolly. Like that wasn't the shot he was starting in on for him to like, when he's counting the dollar bills and you see the first thing you see is like the Jordan 23. And then he switches it out for Jackie Robinson <laughs> jersey. Yeah. And it's like all these like, and there's so, and you know, just the amount and also in the, in the art direction too, like, cause there's so much, you know, there's so much text, there's so much graffiti, there's so much, you know, there's, again, there's so many jerseys, there's so much words that you're seeing in play that are also saying something about the the film and the characters and, and yeah, like the, the guy that owns the brands, like the white guy that owns the brand, so that they're calling, like, that's wearing the Celtics shirt, the yeah. Celtics shirt, and then, and, and they tell him to go back to Massachusetts, <laughs> and he tells him he was born in Brooklyn, which is and just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is the best way to end that argument because it diffuses everything, but it doesn't diffuse anything. John, yeah, what happened to John Savage? He's uh, I confused him with John Hurd for years, and then I realized they're different people. It's my own thing. Um, oh, and yeah, uh, and as far as texture and detail, uh, just I haven't even mentioned uh, Mr. Senior Love Daddy's space, mm, yeah. which is just it's such an it's an integral space within the world of the film, but. It is just packed with black artists and and art and and the significance. Yeah. Like everybody else, everybody else is is dealing with their history in sports metaphors, mm -hmm. and he's just got the music. He has that. What is it? A minute and a half where he just lists yeah. key African American artists and just through through decades. And it's you know I think that might have been the first time I noticed Samuel Jackson in anything and he's so goddamn good like he's yeah. i had forgotten every time i see it i forget the mime bit he does when he's trying to get mookie's attention and, yeah. and mookie mookie and Vito are outside with his sandwich yeah and because the yeah and he's flapping his arms to get their attention and he's motioning to put the sandwich in his mouth it's just like samuel l jackson does not do that sort of thing anymore and he's just so alive it's yeah. it's just great but his voice like anchoring the film too now retroactively it's like this is one of the the most distinctive voices of the last yeah. 30 years of film history. And he was just a bit player there. Like he just sort of was a guy that we cast. I don't think he'd worked with him before. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a, such a distinctive voice. And like, yeah, that like omniscient, that omniscient DJ character and being able to like, you know, the music is so clearly DJ, you know, like Lee is such a, he's so great with music as well. And just like placing all the things. And obviously like, Public Enemy with Raheem's, you know, you know, Raheem's radio is like amazing and everything like this. But yeah, I love that. I love how he makes time and space for these like specific moments of like tribute and and history. And he does that with Ruby D and Ozzy's character. Yeah, sure. As well as like they're like you're going into like a history of, you know, amazing theater and and hollywood and and like you know african-american actors and like they're obviously they're a couple and so you see there and they're like they're the two that are so much with so much tension between them and this like loving you know neighborhood tension that obviously yeah, they yeah. come together at the at the end as friends but like you know really kind of giving homage to these to these moments and these people and like and like yeah there's so many you think of, a, of that mo of this movie being made now and being like well you would you know, some exec would say, cut the list of names that are being mentioned, you know, like, why, why have that in the middle of this movie that is so, you know, fine and tight and precise to, like, give this space, and it's like, well, you got, like, that's the whole point, is that, like, art should be giving space and be giving homage and also just celebrating these important and influential artists on culture, you know, so, 
And yeah, he kind of always continues to kind of go back there and like never like lets up being like, I've got you, you're, you're mine now, you're going to watch this and I'm going to like, you're going to learn something while you're here, you know? And, and feeling that like at the end of like, you know, Black Klansman, you know, like I, and I thought that was yeah. like such an amazing film and, and, you know, and of course, like it's, you know, he's, it's, 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 it's a period piece. It's, it's, it's raw. It's funny though. And it's like, um, and then you get to those moments of like the, the footage of Charlottesville and you go, yeah. this, it's a whole thing. It's like this things haven't changed and they have gotten worse in so many ways too. And it's now again, like all these things that are kind of like lived in, yeah, like lived in the lore of like fictionalized films and being able to like light and shoot something and know somewhere in your heart that like that actor is going to get up off the ground and then it's like these are the moment these are the these are the images now that are influencing how we see cult we, we see people and society and like that's the ref- like it's no longer a reflection it's just it's just pointing the camera at society right now and it's like it's an interesting kind of be a filmmaker because it's like where do you put your energies in, you know, in, in what types of stories are you wanting to tell? And I think, you know, the decades of Spike Lee's films that he's made and like commitment to, you know, social change through art is just like, he's never wavered, like say what he's like, but it, certain films that he has, but like he has not wavered off the track of like, I'm making a point here, you know, and it's, it's impressive. Like how many filmmakers have done that, you know? Yeah, it's I was thinking about the exceptions, things like Inside Man or 25th Hour, where they're, you know, they're slick studio productions and they're not necessarily the first movie you would think about Spike Lee making. But he gets in there, he infects the material with his thing and it ends up being about what he wants it to be about. Because, again, yeah, how could he not? It's just if you hire Spike Lee, that's what you get. Yeah, exactly. Um, I haven't seen Five Bloods yet. Have you watched no, it yet? No, no, I haven't caught up to it yet. Rad reviewed it for us. It's on a list. It's definitely something I want to see. And it sounds yeah. like it's fascinating. The, the initial feedback on it sounds really promising. Uh, yeah, I, and... haven't, I haven't read anything yet. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I skimmed over Rad's re- review of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm just, I, wanted, I want to watch it before. I don't know, I'm excited. I'm excited to see it. But yeah, it's a two and a half hour film. I need to like... Give it a give it an, e- an evening. That's for sure. So. Yeah, it's kind of the best thing about this is that people are rediscovering entire libraries because they have the time to. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just I this is going to sound pretentious, of course, but the cinema of Spike Lee has been so central to like parallel. He's he's ten years older than I am, so he's been making movies as long as I've been aware of what movies are. Mm-hmm. And watching him come up and evolve and change and and grow or refuse to grow depending on what the project is, has been really interesting. And yeah, I had kind of that string of movies he'd made in the early 2010s sort of made me wonder mm-hmm. if he really had it anymore. And then he went off and delivered Black Klansman and it's like, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm invested again. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm all in for this one. But um, the only thing I know about it for sure is that Delroy Linda's character is a, is a trumper. Um, oh, there are really? shots, there are okay. shots of him wearing the red cap. That's fascinating. What are you going to do with that <laughs> image? Kanye West, he's already, he's already done that image for us. That's so. true. It's, yeah, it's nothing new. But yeah, but yeah. I'm really curious. And, and yeah. stuff on other things, like I just, um, I rediscovered Get on the Bus about five years ago. Okay. Um, yeah. That was the one about the voters, like the, the bus of black mm-hmm. voters going along. And it's the closest thing, I think, to do the right thing that he's done with just dialogue and character and then eventually catharsis. But he yeah he can only do what he wants to do i i I think when his heart's not in it you can tell um on a given project but the stuff that he really cares about the stuff that he really puts himself into is just richer and and more uh richer deeper more complicated than it has than it potentially has any right to be i mean you know the story about do the right thing was originally developed at paramount Mm -hmm. and they wanted a softer ending and they wanted just they wanted him to take its teeth out. They wanted it to be yeah. a. They wanted it to be a, a Martin Luther King film instead of a Malcolm X film, with no, mm-hmm. uh, with with reconciliation and hope. And there is reconciliation and there is hope, but it's angry. Like he's he's. I was trying to come up with a, a metaphor for this, um, for what the film is versus because of that because of the paired quotes because of Malcolm and, and Martin. 
Martin Luther King spoke as, from the position of someone who had been swallowing his rage for the greater good for his entire life. And Malcolm X knew that that had to come out. Even though he had his epiphany and changed his position on, on the possibility of the races actually working together and getting along after, after Mecca, Malcolm X understood that you can't keep it bottled up forever because it gives you cancer. It kills you. And, yeah. and that's what Do the Right Thing is about to me. It's, it's mm -hmm. the sense that sooner or later it has to come out. And the sick feeling I had watching it this time, I think, was understanding that I'm watching the, you're watching it boil over all the time. It isn't just the inciting incident. The whole movie is the inciting incident. Yeah. And I don't know that I got that before this time through. And that's, that's just something I've been wrestling with. It feels, hmm. yeah, it feels very much like as much as Lee understands who everybody is and does his best to give everyone humanity. And I don't think there's anybody in it who comes off as a cartoon or a caricature. Uh, except, I mean, he, maybe bugging out just because of the way that he, that Lee and Ernest Dickerson shoot Giancarlo Esposito to make him look ridiculous. Um, he's not wrong. Like he's still, he's 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 big in his anger and he's demonstrative and his name suggests that maybe he gets angry at literally everything. But he's not wrong, and Lee sees that and gives him that moment, and and you can see this disaster coming from the very beginning because of it, and it's just. Yeah, I didn't. Ex I really didn't think a movie I knew this well could hit me so hard again, or, or make me make me feel like I hadn't seen it before. And now I think yeah. that's probably more about me than it is about the film. Well, I mean, it's it's a kind of. I mean, that's like a, a filmmaker's dream review. You know, it's like to be able to keep kind of like of like for a movie that you know has been locked for 31 years and for you to keep having new experiences with it. And, and it's still in all your, and all that's happening is that you're learning more or you're unpacking more like that's, I mean, in, in the similar way where it's like, there's, that's, it's so much about what's kind of boiling on. It's, it's all, it's all about what's boiling under the surface and the heat of New York and the, you know, the concrete and the, and, and the colors and everything like just are, are all part of that, feeling that you have that's that's you know intangible you know that can that that you know because he wrote it and directed it there's something that would have existed on the page that would have reflected that but on, then also bringing in all the other artists that are going to like bring their you know their their talents to like you know spike lee's vision and really just sort of getting in there and understanding all of that where yeah yeah where and yeah like i think this 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 viewing for sure it will I, you know, and this recent viewing of, 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 of revisiting it, this movie that, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of my like top five films, you know? Um, and then, and just seeing how I just, I think the, the, the attention to the message in every line and every character, you know, every character says something, you know, both meaningful places, their own identity, places their own feelings towards other people. And really you understand the neighborhood tension that just exists, and it's a, often a very, you know, it's 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 not a neighborhood that's about. It's like it's still a neighborhood. It's still a community. It's still like there are different ideas, and everyone's like, well, I understand where you're coming from. And I think with Spike Lee's sister, like with the with Mookie's sister, it's like she's often the sort of like voice of reason, you know, throughout, you know, that like is trying to see everyone's side and like tr talk reason, and she's you know speaks her version of like. Why? Why want to do something positive for the community to bugging out instead of like why? Why don't we try to do something positive? And it's like, well, again, like everyone's gonna have their different way of like, how do we get change and how do we how do we have change? How do we have equality? How do we feel heard and represented? You know, like everyone's sort of everyone's screaming that somewhere, including, you know, Sal and Pino and. Uh, and veto, you know, of their own identity and and place that they feel is earned in the neighborhood, um, but yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's really it's a, it's 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 so finely crafted to get to the point where you're like, of course, this is what's going to happen. It's going to bubble over. Of it's going to explode. You know, of course, this is the moment that like there's no turning back. You know, and. And also interesting too, because like there's there's that that minute yeah minute piece of reconciliation between Mookie and Sal, where after he you know 
pays the throws his money at him and then they have that, that last exchange and he's like and basically you know he says like well like i'm gonna go if that's all if that's cool with you, you yeah know? like and there's something that like that's what probably the only thing that felt like a compromise or maybe dated which i think now 2020 spike lee if that was like a studio demand of being like they need there needs to be something between these two that we feel that there's that he's forgiven Sal or something, or there's some kind of like, we're going to see eye to eye, which is like, that moment's not coming at that point in the day. <laughs> you know, yeah. that moment's coming very far down the road. And I think that like, again, the sort of, you know, yeah, like, again, the, the like you said, like, uh, you kind of interpreted the, the, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. versus um, Malcolm X. Um, yeah, like ethos, you know, it's like, there's a frustration with there's a frustration that you know be you know that 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 becoming a a stereotype or a trope becoming like perceived as like an angry unreasonable person you're not going to get your message you have to make yourself palatable to a mainstream audience and so the film you know it seems like had to potentially do a little bit of that to make it like understood and palatable for you know, an audience, yeah, sitting at camp, you know, or which now I think hopefully there, we don't have to have those sort of like, you know, but like forgivenesses at the yeah. end. It's like, you know, I mean, maybe we still do. I don't know. But like, it's, I mean, it definitely comes up in like in meetings I have of like different types of characters and stuff like that. But it's like, maybe now we don't have to worry about, you know, being, you know, having characters perceived, you know, racially as like a stereotype that is uh the angry whatever you know so, yeah, yeah yeah i mean i remember people complaining about spike lee in the 90s like he seems so angry well yeah he kind of <laughs> yeah. is and he has yeah. ex every reason to be it it's it's weird that you're not angry if you watch his movies but i mean other than jungle fever which i think was just a yeah. it just it doesn't harmonize the the tones that it in a way that makes sense to me not that it's aimed at me or that I'm the audience for that film at all, but I remember just thinking he's trying too hard to mm -hmm. to to get this across. But I also haven't watched it in something like 20 years, so maybe I should take another look at it because I'm pretty sure uh, I will see it differently now. Like that, and as you were saying, right, that's the thing. The movie doesn't change. We do. It's, yeah. you know, if we're lucky, we change in the right way. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and hopefully so. Yeah, like it's, yeah. It'll change for the better, I guess. Yeah, do I mean hopefully we're always changing and evolving for the better and 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 understanding things. And I and and him too, you know. It's just like again, it's like he's he's not without criticism, you know, of of his, you know, you know, you have this like for something like do the right thing, you have this many characters in a movie and they're, you know, you you maybe maybe sister mother's the only character and 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 Mookie's sister are the only characters that have like a little bit like female characters that have a little bit more um depth to them and not yeah. even that much like poor rosie perez's character and she's so great in it but like you know she's still very much a trope and a stereotype and um and i know well i've read i don't know i read you know that like her experience in making the film was not exactly a pleasant one with, I've, with like, yeah i've heard that as um, well yeah and so hopefully and he also, he just apologized for saying some, some for defending Woody Allen uh, over the weekend. So it's like, oh, good. Yeah, he just, he, I, it was funny because just before we, we started talking, I like went on Twitter and then saw that he was apologizing for sexual harassment. I was just like, oh, God. I was like, oh, I can't, I can't, right? Anyway, I was like, of course, of course, this is, this had to happen. You know, Spike, you had to do this. But um, yeah, he was, he had defended, you know, because Woody Allen's film's coming out and that, you know, his mark oh, as a filmmaker. And, yeah, that's right. Just, There's a new Woody Allen movie. Oh. Yeah. Proof that the world hasn't changed. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like this whole idea of you know people say the cancel culture. I was like, I don't think culture is canceling the people that should be canceled. <laughs> so like, anyway. Yes. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, like you know, and anyway, so I had read his apology on Twitter for for defending you know that his words were wrong and he that he that he is not take light the uh, you know sexual abuse and sexual harassment. Um, but so hopefully 
all these filmmakers, you know, like it's very, you know, especially like these sort of very masculinated filmmakers from the 90s are all starting to evolve. And I, you know, and that this space is also given to more female filmmakers and, you know, BIPOC female filmmakers too. Um, but yeah, but it's like, you see that over this, you know, over his like, oeuvre, you know, over his like decades of work. And it's like, there's something, there's something, obviously there's a thread of, 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 you know, t tone and style and, and message in all of his films that are so, you know, a signature Spike Lee movie, a Spike Lee joint, you know? Yeah. But that, you know, there's, you learn something different from each one, you know? Even yeah. the documentaries that he does too. Oh, know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Four Little Girls is still just devastating yeah. uh and yeah that's it too right he's been engaged with history he's been engaged with with the african-american experience of american history yeah. all along and and writing it's not revisionist it's a corrective right he's he's been yeah. working to do that through his entire career uh and and that and when the levee breaks his doc about new orleans and just where he just takes the time and yeah and as he does with mr senior loves daddy's string of, of artists he just forces you to see he forces you to see what's been missing uh, yeah. from the record even though it's always been there yeah right exactly. like that's that's part of his mission over 30 odd years I, yeah you know i have to admire that oh my gosh i mean he is yeah he is he is a historian absolutely and like you said like he is yeah it's a it's a it's a reclamation and it's a re correcting of history and also yeah like he does in black Klansman, it's like so yeah, taking Birth of a Nation and like, we're going to put this back in your face and we're going to show this movie to you the way you're supposed to watch this, you know? And it's like, and, and do it again through that kind of complex lens of like seeing uh, Alec Baldwin's character. And then like, it's just like, we're the, the, the layers of lenses and, and stripping them each away to just be like, you're, you're getting my, you're getting my take of this story as a, you know, African-American man from Brooklyn, you know, in his early sixties, like, this is my, this is my lens on history. I'm going to tell it to you. And like, you, you know, you can't look away. That's, there's something amazing about that, you know? Yeah. And studios are still paying him to do it, which is even better. Like he's, yeah. he's not doing it independently. <laughs> he's made them pay for it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Well done. Uh, yeah. So before we, we wrap, the, the final question on, on the podcast is always the same, which is, is there anything of Do the Right Thing that you have used or borrowed or homaged or stolen or full-on inserted into your own work anywhere? It's, is it something that influences you? I mean, the, the, the thing that I love about his writing and i'm going to see if let me just like think about it so if do the right thing specifically sure sure it's in that i mean do the right thing is like exactly the type of story that i wouldn't necessarily tell it like typically has told it because it's not my experience and i'm not an african-american man sure i'm a half chinese woman you know um but this telling the stories of community and racial injustice and doing it in a way that is you know, like I said at the beginning, like doing it in a way that's unapologetic, that has like these characters that have, that are flawed, have, have, you know, have their own, their own like kind of crosses to bear and are also funny and also like just not shy away from the fact that like you can make a drama about something like about a marginalized community or music or about people that are marginalized or are dealing with injustices and social inequity and also do it without making them into victims or making it into like a sob story and making them like very powerful strong characters that are that are struggling like you know are are struggling because you don't make a movie about people that aren't struggling with something like that is the conflict sure, but are struggling sure. but 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 and in in placing their identity and figuring out their identity and, and taking up space and place and i think for the films that like i've made um as a producer, as a director, this is something that's like, I don't, I want to like, I don't want to shy away or pull any punches in the way that I want it, that I tell a story and I want it to be as lean as possible. I want it to, and I want it to be meaningful, you know? And that's, you know, like 
and it's funny, like I know that you had Jeff Barnaby on the on the podcast, and Jeff and I, because I produced, well, I was one of the producers of Rhymes for Young Gold, and like on set, we would have debates about Spike Lee because he knew how much I loved him, and he was like, ah, oh, this guy, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, like, and hilarious because like obviously Rhymes is a you know very like you know like strong racially charged you know and about like social injustice and correcting like, institutional racism you know yeah um, with but, the uh, visual flair that does kind of echo uh, what ernest dickerson and spike lee were doing yeah like, just that those that those beautiful composed images right in the middle of this this angry angry film yeah and 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 i and i think in the in like the stuff that I'm writing, the stuff that I'm working on, there has to be there has to be that like struggle of character. Now, my film, The Rest of Us, does not deal with racial injustice in any in any kind of way. But you know, um, but like the documentary I'm working on now, No Ordinary Man, like talking about the intersection of like race and gender and history and media representation and 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 you know and and telling one's own story, I think, is such an important is such an important thing, and and bringing that into the fabric and having fun with it, like do the right thing, is such such a fun, exhilarating experience. And using music and using the setting and using your art direction and using these things in a way that like that really elevate your story. Now I do so I do it in a much more naturalistic way, but like elevating your story through these things where it's like make a choice of the songs that you're listening to, make a choice. Like have it like if you don't have a literal DJ, you know, as a character in the film, make your characters into a DJ. You know, like make them pick make them pick the soundtrack. You know, and so that has been always like a fun and always a fun thing. And that's the that's the stage I'm getting into now with um, this the music biopic that I'm doing. It's like getting into the music. It's like let's like let's bring this, you know, let's bring this thing to the next level and how and tell a story with with the soundscape, you know. So, so yeah. I mean, I would, I would, I, you know, and just in this in these times, it's like it's a for me. It's like in, in going back to writing. It's like it's a return to telling the stories that only that I think as a person of color, um, as a woman who has a specific experience growing up in the East Coast of Canada, like I feel like there are stories about Canada and there are stories about, about that, that I haven't seen reflected on the screen that, that, that are my experience, you know? And I feel like those things are changing, but I, I do think that that is the reason I was so inspired by Spike Lee was that like he was it was the first time I had seen a voice like his and a voice like his that wasn't he was telling movies from his perspective and that was like shockingly exciting so you know yeah so, I yeah. hear that <laughs> I hear that a lot from people about the, the the movies they choose are the ones that showed them there might be another way or shows them there might be a way for yeah. them which just you know that's the the best thing you can say about art is I, I see stuff all the time that makes me feel uh, humbled and awed that someone else could come up with that image or that idea or tell the story in a certain way but I connect to those differently than the ones that feel like they're speaking to me because they were made directly for me the, the way they connect to me by saying look this is a thing that I, I know you know let's let's explore this together and then to come out of it thinking that there's a path there's a possibility for your own stuff too that's just oh, that's good that's got to be good it is. It's the time now. And like, I'm thinking like when I got out of film school in the, you know, in 2004 or so, yeah, it was 2004. Um, and yeah, wanting to, wanting to like make homage to all of those filmmakers that I loved and they happened to almost, almost all of them were men because those were the films that I was exposed to, you know? Sure. You know, I got them the first time discovering Lynn Ramsey and I was like, Oh my gosh. And that was, that was, that was actually the debate. I was like, is it rat catcher or is it do the right thing? And I'm like, it's right now. It's, it's not going to be, a, it's not going to be a movie about white people. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like, and I think, yeah, it just kind of continues on. It's a really, it's an exciting, it's an exciting time and it's an important time to be making art and to be making art that is meaningful and that is, and is helping the world, you know, and it's nice. It's nice. It's that's not the right word, but it's 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 reassuring, in some to some degree, to see places like Hollywood, you know, and you know, and and here too. But like it's 
people are, you know, it's a, in typical Canadian fashion, it's like less sort of in your face where it's like, we need to like look at the type of stories that we're supporting and we're telling and how we've represented people on screen, you know? And finally, it's like, people are looking at like, maybe all not all cops are heroes, you know? Yeah. Maybe not, you know, like that's, maybe that's, a, maybe that is not a thing we need to keep perpetuating when we know that that is not the truth, you know? Um, and, you know, and just that, that's, and that's a thing too of like, and, and, and like going back to the beginning of like, you know, Do the Right Thing was a movie that is incredibly accessible, I think, um, so artfully told and in a story that's like, that is so complex with so many different characters that you, you have, it doesn't matter who you are, you have an endpoint somehow into this movie. And to see that represent, you know, so similar to where I grew up in Nova Scotia. And again, like not being kind of like that Korean grocer where it's like, well, we're not white and we're not black. Where do we kind of fit into the community? Um, you know, like it's, and, and being and, and being immigrants, we don't have a history in this place. We moved yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, so, and 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 never seeing that kind of reflected in films that were being made about the region at the time. Like Corey Bowles is changing that, you know. But like, but like Corey and some other filmmakers, of course, you know, um, uh, that have been that have been working there for working in Nova Scotia for a long time, of course. But um, but like. Like I would always like when I moved to Montreal, it's like and people really just thought of Nova Scotia as like the friendly fisherman. I'm like, there's so that's not my experience. Like the, the, my experience was so much different than that, and richer in a lot of ways. But also like you're you're erasing a huge history of people, or you're ignoring a huge huge a huge population, a huge community, and you're erasing their history and contribution because because again, like you haven't figured out that the complexities of representing different types of people on screen can exist and people will understand it you know like it's it's i think again it was like like cbc or whoever was making films in these places we're just like well we people of the rest of canada know that there's unemployed fishermen over there like yeah absolutely. oh yeah yeah like, you know that's um, just that's the, the the one thing we all know across the country right about that one province about that one place it's just how it works in canada yeah exactly that's why everyone hates toronto i don't know why exactly but I don't know what that one thing is, but the one thing is that we all hate Toronto. I don't think that's how we felt in Nova Scotia, but I mean, in Montreal, it's a different situation. And it's not yeah. necessarily a hate, it's more just like, you know, it's a rival city. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I just made it all about myself. That's, that's on me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. My thanks to Ashling Chin Yi, whose first feature, The Rest of Us, is available today on digital and on demand. Thanks also to Ali Lemaire Shedden. She knows what she did. You can find Ashling on Twitter at Spectraversa, all one word, S-P-E-C-T-R-A-V-E-R-S-A. And you can find Do the Right Thing on Blu-ray and DVD in the Criterion Collection in an excellent special edition. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I'm hosting a bunch of podcasts in addition to writing about movies. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network, including Jordan Heath Rawlings' The Big Story, which is still essential listening throughout this wonderful plague we're having. Stay inside. Watch movies. I'll see you next week.